Acts 21, verses 1 through 26. Paul's travels to Jerusalem. After we had torn ourselves away from them, we put out to sea and sailed straight to Kos. The next day we went to Rhodes and from there to Patara. We found a ship crossing over to Phoenicia, went on board and set sail. After sighting Cyprus and passing to the south of it, we sailed on to Syria. We landed at Tyre where our ship was to unload its cargo. We sought out the disciples there and stayed with them seven days. Through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. When it was time to leave, we left and continued on our way. All of them, including wives and children, accompanied us out of the city, and there on the beach we knelt to pray. After saying goodbye to each other, we went aboard the ship, and they returned home. We continued our voyage from Tyre and landed at Ptolemais, where we greeted the brothers and sisters and stayed with them for a day. Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip, the evangelist, one of the seven. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. After we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it, and said, The Holy Spirit says, in this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and hand him over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, The Lord's will be done. After this, we started on our way up to Jerusalem. Some of the disciples from Caesarea accompanied us and brought us to the home of Manassan, where we were to stay. He was a man from Cyprus and one of the early disciples. When we arrived at Jerusalem, the brothers and sisters received us warmly. The next day, Paul and the rest of us went to see James, and all the elders were present. Paul greeted them and reported in detail what God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. When he heard this, they praised God. Then they said to Paul, You see, brother, how many thousands of Jews have believed, and all of them are zealous for the law. They have been informed that you teach all the Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn away from Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or live according to our customs. What shall we do? They will certainly hear you have come, so do what we tell you. There are four men with us who have made a vow. Take these men, join in their purification rites, and pay their expenses so that, we can have their, so that they can have their heads shaved. Then everyone will know there is no truth in these reports about you, but that you yourself are living in obedience to the law. As for the Gentile believers, we have written to them our decision that they should abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. The next day, Paul took the men and purified himself along with them. Then he went to the temple to give notice of the date when the days of purification would end and the offering would be made for each of them. This is the word of the Lord. So much, Alan. All right.
Well, let's pray. Lord, thanks for today. Thank you for our time together uh, in your word. Uh, just open our ears, open our eyes and minds, and just teach us what you want to teach us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, so I want to open by telling a, a little story here about a college senior named Jamie. Uh, Jamie works one summer, kind of her, her summer going into her senior year at a Christian camp as a camp counselor. And she runs hikes, she leads hikes, she runs workshops, uh, she leads like cabin time, small group, and uh, even gives some of the devotionals in kind of the large group setting. Over the course of the summer, she begins to sense that maybe uh, the Holy Spirit, maybe God is calling her into some form of Christian ministry. She senses that in her heart, she doesn't hear like the Lord speak to her with audible words, but uh, she's trying to listen, she's trying to pay attention. Uh, she doesn't know what that means, so she talks with some of her other camp counselors. She talks with some of her other uh, camp leaders and invite them into the discernment process with her to pray for her, to help her uh, understand, to ask them, like, what do you think? Do you see any of these giftings and skills in me? Uh, and they affirm uh, that they see um, some sort of call to Christian ministry in her. Uh, and they don't yet know what that means if she'll be working in a camp setting or a college setting or even in a church setting. At the end of the summer, she goes home. She's excited. She's ready to jump into a new season of ministry as she goes to college. Uh, and uh, she's attending her home church and begins to serve more and more. She's exploring her gifting uh, and, and doing things there to serve. Uh, but she's surprised when she begins to run into resistance, uh, people that are pushing back a little bit. And she's like, well, why would I experience this uh, from my family or from my church? Uh, and while well, her parents uh, love her and they love the Lord, but they'd much rather her be a doctor, right? A doctor makes a lot more money uh, than someone who does Christian ministry. And that was her career path. Why change now? You know, you could be a doctor who does short-term medical missions trips and Jamie recognizes that's a good thing, right? That's a valid thing. Uh, but maybe the Lord is just calling her to something a little different. So uh, she struggles a little bit as family members say, I don't know about this. Uh, she shares with some of the people at the church, and she's expecting them to be excited. And some of them are, absolutely. But she also hears some comments here and there. You know, well, you're a woman. Are you sure that you should be involved in, in doing that sort of thing or do you just want to go to seminary to find a husband? Uh, not the nicest of comments, uh, but all things uh, she hears. And so she begins to wonder, well, is the Holy Spirit calling me to ministry? If my church doesn't really support it, am I hearing right from the Lord? Uh, and it all comes to a head when her pastor preaches a well-intentioned sermon on male headship and church leadership, and she goes home very upset. Uh, and not knowing what to do. Uh, you know, our, or people were looking at her, glancing at her, wondering if she was listening to the sermon. She wants to obey the Holy Spirit. She wants to obey the Bible. She wants to hear. Uh, and yet she just felt all this resistance. What is she to do? Now, this is Jamie's story, and uh, I'm sure there are similar stories out there. This, I made this one up, just kind of imagining it, but I have heard stories similar to this one. 
And I know many of you maybe have experienced a time or a season in your life where you felt like God was calling you to do something, the Holy Spirit was calling you to a specific task, and you were surprised by the resistance you encountered, uh, that you ran into well-intentioned, good-meaning Christians full of the Holy Spirit who said, are you sure that's what the Holy Spirit said to you. Uh, and so maybe you can think of a time, maybe you can't, and that's a good thing. <laughs> you can't think of a time, or you're not listening to the Holy Spirit, so I don't know. Uh, but maybe at the end of the sermon, you'll be listening anyways. And so I guess I just want to start by sharing a very simple point. You can see I went crazy again with these little icon stick figures. I'm sorry. Uh, uh, just we, as believers, we will face resistance. We will. We'll encounter opposition. We'll encounter uh, struggles, and it can be a, a really challenging thing to know, like, how is the Holy Spirit speaking? He speaks through his church, doesn't he? He speaks through his word. He also speaks to us personally, and so uh, this isn't an easy uh, topic. This is a, li a little bit complicated, and it was complicated for Paul. <laughs> so we can take comfort at that, right? As we look at this passage, the apostle Paul had people tell him, are you sure that's what the Holy Spirit wants you to do? And this is the Apostle Paul who wrote like half the New Testament. Uh, and so let's dive in. Uh, we, we, we're looking at Paul's ministry. Uh, you know, he's, he's someone who has faced a lot of pushback, right? He's faced angry mobs, but he's also faced like angry Christians. So he's faced both external pressure and he's faced internal pressure, right? Sometimes we think that all the issues are out there. Now we often bring them in here as well. Uh, so I think we can all relate to that. Now last week we just looked at Acts chapter, uh, well, Acts chapter 20, uh, and now we're in Acts chapter 21. But in last week's we talked about Paul, so he was at Ephesus, well he was at Miletus, and he talked to the elders at Ephesus, and he was kind of passing the ministry baton, right? He passed the ministry baton to them, they kept going. But now, right, he, the reason he didn't go to Ephesus is because he's on his way down to Jerusalem, so show you the map, the exciting map here. Uh, uh, so Paul was at Miletus, and now he's just making his way south uh, down to Jerusalem. And so if you want to go back and look at the scripture passage, uh, it talks about him going to Kos, right? So uh, I guess they spell it a little bit different. Miletus, Kos, and I guess Rhodes, Patara, Tyre, uh, down to Caesarea, and eventually to Jerusalem by the end of today's text. Uh, so it's pretty cool that you can like put him in a geographic location that this happened in a real time and place. And it's one, one of the reasons we can trust the Bible. Uh, it's like a history account. Uh, but if we look here at verse 4, this is what we, uh, we see. And having sought out the disciples, so the Christians, we stayed there for seven days, and through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. What? Wait a second. Through the Spirit. Now I went back and like looked at the Greek for the word through to see if it could give me any insight, and it just it means through. Passing between. Somehow, like the Holy Spirit was there. Sometimes we can overcomplicate things, and we're like, the Greek for the is the. Uh, well, it's the same for through here. Uh, it, uh, they, somehow the Holy Spirit was like encouraging, like, the, like moving with them to, to tell Paul or giving them insight. Uh, and this is confusing uh, because, well, we just heard that Paul was supposed to go to Jerusalem. So there's the verse I was supposed to read. Uh, next verse. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem. So this is Paul. Constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me 
except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. Uh, so he's constrained by the Spirit. He is driven to Jerusalem. He knows that suffering and hardship await, and yet God calls him to do it. Right? So often that's how the Holy Spirit works. He calls us to hardship, to do hard things. If the Lord's calling you to go on a cruise, that's possible, <laughs> but just be a little aware, you know. If someone comes to you and wants to do a mission trip to cruise liners, be aware. Like, that might not be the best of things. Now, the Holy Spirit, I believe, can convict people differently. I actually think that's possible. I think uh, Jesus, when he says this about the Holy Spirit, says, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes, so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Right? So the Holy Spirit does what the Holy Spirit wants to do. <laughs> Has his own mind and will. We can't search the mind of God. We don't know God's plans and why God does the things he does. But I think it's perfectly possible. God told this one sense group of Christians, hey, warn Paul, and then also drove Paul at the same time. Some people think that, well, they, that the Holy Spirit revealed to the other Christians what was going to happen to Paul, and they took it upon themselves to say, hey, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. I don't know. It's a mystery. Uh, but what we do see is that the Holy Spirit is leading Paul forward. And he encounters, I think, well-meaning, spirit-filled Christians who tell him not to do what the Holy Spirit has called him to do. Uh, you know, I know, right, we're supposed to listen to each other as Christians. And we're supposed to take time to pray and listen to the Holy Spirit. And when we tell other Christians what we think God might be saying, we also should have spent time in prayer uh, beforehand, right? To really seek God's will. And I was actually thinking about my own life and trying to think of a story, and I was thinking, ah, I know of a story where I was the well-meaning Christian <laughs> who perhaps stopped spirit-filled ministry. Isn't this great? Like, oh, man, you get to hear a, uh, one of those stories. I, I wish I was on the other end of it. Uh, but I once served uh, at a church where a group of teenagers wanted to create a self-run Bible study. So a whole bunch of teenagers wanted to get together, study the Bible. That sounds like a great idea, doesn't it? <laughs> but no, they might hurt themselves if they study the Bible together. We need some adults there. And so I came up with all these like reasons they needed adults there, why they needed some guidelines, you know, if you're going to study the Bible by yourself, well, maybe there needs to be like an adult in the room. I don't know what I was thinking, you know, but I can tell you that I don't think those teens were uh, more excited to study the Bible because of my actions, right? Good intentions. Maybe I even spent time in prayer. Maybe I even had the Holy Spirit. I think I do have the Holy Spirit. But just didn't say things that really edified the church body. It really helped these teens grow in their love for God. And so I think we all need to be reflective and self-aware uh, and take time to, uh, to, to reflect and ask God, like, you know, sometimes we do have good intentions as Christians, and yet we can so often even uh, quench the Holy Spirit in some of the things that we say. Uh, as you can see, this is messy. 
<laughs> right? It's messy and it's complex, uh, and I don't have all the right answers, um, and the Holy Spirit uh, does what the Holy Spirit wants to do. All right? So let's continue. We will face uh, resistance sometimes. What should Paul do? Right? What should Jamie do? Uh, what should you and I do when we encounter resistance? And I think when you face resistance, when you experience it, I think you should listen to the Holy Spirit. This does not mean, I, did, I noticed I did not say, you should not listen to your church family, or you should not listen to mature brothers and sisters in Christ. I think you should do those things too. But I think our passage especially emphasizes Paul trying to follow the Holy Spirit and do what God is calling him to do. Uh, and Paul is an apostle, right? He is uh, someone who's granted extra authority that none of us have uh, today. So we can keep that in mind as well. But verses 5 through 6 say this. When, when our days there were ended, we departed and went on our journey. And they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. Then we went on board our ship and they returned home. And so like, they, they, they tell Paul not to go, but then when Paul's clear, I'm going to go, well, they support him. I think there's something valuable in that for us as Christians, that oftentimes we don't see things eye to eye, right? We're just different people, different preferences. God made us different ways. Uh, and yet, if someone is sensing the Holy Spirit's calling and leading their life, maybe you know, we see things a little differently, but there is a way to pray for them, to love them, to support them, and encourage them, uh, even if we perhaps sense something different, right? To, to share what you're experiencing, to share what you think, but then pray for them and encourage them. And so we see that in this passage. Paul and his companions, right, they sail down to Caesarea. Uh, they stay at Philip the Evangelist's house. Uh, and then uh, Paul encounters more resistance. It's like the closer he gets to Jerusalem, the more resistance he encounters. And I almost wonder if like the Holy Spirit was testing him a little bit. Right? Like, I almost wonder if the Holy Spirit was using these other Christians to say, like, get ready, Paul. Get ready. This is going to be intense. Uh, verses 10 through 12 say this. While we were staying, now this is Luke, the author of the gospel. So anytime you hear we, that's like the royal we, the author was there. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Please name your kids Agabus if you have the opportunity. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Prophet comes, takes Paul's belt, binds his own hands and feet. This is what's going to happen to you, Paul, if you go to Jerusalem. You're going to face suffering. And it's interesting that the church's first response is, well, don't do it then. <laughs> right? If, there's going to, if you're going to suffer, Paul, don't, don't go to Jerusalem. And uh, I think there's like this gauge here, almost like this test of, uh, of how we can sense if something perhaps is the Holy Spirit's leading. Uh, it's going to not advantage Paul to go to Jerusalem. It's going to disadvantage Paul. He's going to face suffering, trial, persecution, to do what God has called him to do. It's not an easy thing. Now, I think the Holy Spirit can call us to do things that advantage us, that are a blessing to us, certainly, absolutely. 
But I think one of the things we see here is Paul like putting God first, right? Even at cost to himself. And that, that kind of lends to the truthfulness of this thing that Paul would only do this if the Holy Spirit were calling him to do it. And as we look at like, like just this, the, the language that he uses here, he took Paul's belt and bound his feet and his hands and said, like, you're going to be led away uh, to deliver it into the hands of Gentiles. Like, this is actually, like, very similar to Matthew 27, verse 2, where it talks about Jesus being bound and led away by Gentiles. And so what we he- see here is, like, the Holy Spirit is calling on Paul to say, Paul, like, you're going to walk the path of Jesus Christ. You are physically, spiritually going to look more like Jesus because of what God is calling you to do. That's pretty intense, isn't it? And so through this process of testing, there's also going to come transformation. God is going to do something in Paul's life to make him look more like Christ. And as we look at our own lives and the things that the Holy Spirit calls us to do and the things he leads us to do, God wants to take us through a process of transformation. And so when we face those hard experiences, those things that we weren't expecting that God is leading us through, leading us to do, to trust him through the, through the stormy season or through the trial, we also want to bear in mind that like, well, through that suffering, we're actually coming to look a little bit more like Jesus. We're coming to look a little bit more like, uh, like the resurrected Son of God. Now, hopefully, you won't have your hands bound at any point for Christ, but you might. But we can trust that no matter what, no matter the circumstance, God is going to use it to transform us into the image of Jesus. And so, I think there's good reason to trust that Paul is going the right direction, right? It's not, it doesn't, he doesn't come out with like more money at the end. And so, I, you know, as we put this into practice in our own lives, like we're trying to follow the, the way of Christ, we're trying to walk after him. That's what it means to be a disciple, right? To, to learn the way of Jesus and to try to obey him, try to walk by faith, try to know him. Uh, that's what we're trying to do. Uh, and it can be tempting at times to, to almost, uh, you know, I... I know this is true because I, I, I feel like I can fall into this path too, to say, well, I'm trying to follow Jesus, therefore, you know, everything I do must be right. <laughs> we also don't want to fall into that trap as well, right? We don't want to use the Holy Spirit to say, well, the Holy Spirit told me that like, I, I get this thing because I want it, right? I want a new, you know, I don't know, RV or whatever. Someone probably is like shopping for an RV right now, and you're like, oh, why would you say that? Empowered by the Holy Spirit. Uh, Right, like sometimes we got to be careful of of uh, of how we how we talk about God, uh, and we just want to make sure that we're that we're wise. All right, let's continue forward. I think I've lost my place here. Uh, verses thirteen and fourteen say this. Then Paul answered. So this is his response to Agabus, to all the people trying to convince him, including Luke, his own traveling companion, who has heard Paul talk time and time again. Paul answered. What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am not ready not only to be I, I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. I love that's in quotation. Like Luke remembered that. Luke remembered that. And he wanted us 
to remember Paul's words. He was committed to Christ, committed to following the Holy Spirit, but also just committed to, to, to sharing about Jesus. And that leads me to kind of my second point, that when you face resistance, listen to the Holy Spirit and do what's best for the gospel. It's easy to do what's best for ourselves. Paul does what's best for the good news of Jesus Christ, that he's ready to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Right? He thinks he's following the path of Christ, who died in Jerusalem, who's bound, led away by Gentiles, or crucified. And he kind of sees his life following a similar pattern, and yet it does, but God's also going to take him to a different place to die. His cross is going to be a much different location in Rome. He doesn't die on an actual cross. So Paul and his companions, they sail down to Jerusalem, get there. Paul meets with James, the brother of Jesus, the other church elders. Uh, And they welcome him, but then they also give him sort of like a warning. Like It's like not the, really the thing that I would, I would feel kind of discouraged if the first thing I do is show up and they're like, hey, warning. I'll show you what I mean. Uh, verses 20 through 24. And they said to him, so this is James and all the, like kind of the, the leaders, uh, you see, brother, talking to Paul, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed They're all zealous for the law, and they have been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men and purify yourselves along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you but you yourself also live in observance of the law. Right? So there's all these observant Jews in Jerusalem. A lot of them have become Christians. They've come to faith in Christ, but they're still practicing the law. And then also kind of in the same vein, there are a lot of observant Jews who aren't yet Christians. And this church is saying, like, be mindful of your brothers and sisters in Christ who are still practicing the law of Moses. Uh, because they're free to do that, and if you walk around in perhaps your freedom, you, know, you could really cause them to stumble uh, unintentionally. And so what does Paul do? Uh, well, he, he and they call Paul to like do this uh, kind of this Nazarite vow, right? To do it, you'd kick it off, you'd shave your head, but then you wouldn't, let your, you wouldn't shave your head after that. Uh, you wouldn't drink you know, wine or alcohol. Uh, and let's see, I think there was one other thing. You wouldn't touch a dead body, right? So if, some of your, if your relative died, you couldn't go to the funeral. Uh, but this is a way to just kind of set aside a man or a woman for a, a period of time to honor God. Uh, and, and Paul doesn't mind doing this, right? He knows that this is not for, like, this isn't going to save him, but he's fine with not putting the stumbling block in, in front of others. It says, Paul took the men, and the next day he purified himself along with the others and went to the temple, giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled and the offering presented for each one of them. So he also sponsors these four other guys. And this is like meant to be like this public, symbolic gesture that I observe the law, or at least I respect the law. I'm not here to demolish the law. And we're going to see next week that it doesn't go well. <laughs> he goes out of his way to do this, and it still doesn't go uh, well. 
So I just think there's like an interesting contrast when we compare these two stories, right? Because the first one, uh, the, 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 people in Jerusalem, uh, the people on the way to Jerusalem just trying to stop him. Don't go to Jerusalem. Don't go to Jerusalem. They seem like they have the Holy Spirit. Uh, and he's not willing to make a concession. And then he gets to Jerusalem. Paul preaches the gospel to the Gentiles, the non-Jews, who has every right to, to, to walk in freedom, to not practice the Old Testament laws. He, and they, like the church tells him, hey, you should really like practice this just to make things go well for you in Jerusalem. And he's willing to concede. And so there's one issue that he's not willing to concede, trusting the Holy Spirit and moving forward in the gospel. But then he, there's another issue that he is willing to concede. <laughs> and that's contextualization, right? That he doesn't have to exercise all of his freedoms. He knows what's best for his brothers and sisters in Christ and uh, for reaching the gospel ministry out into the community of Jerusalem. And so I think uh, there's no black and white answer for how to respond when facing resistance, but, but a starting point is seeking the Holy Spirit. He does speak through one another. And then also just like prioritizing the gospel, right? So it's not prioritizing me and my rights. Paul's willing to, to uh, you know, to, to lay down his rights. And we live in a very interesting time where there is a lot of talk about rights, right? Whether it's wear a mask, don't wear a mask. And, and so often it centers on like, what's my right? But what if we reshaped it and say, well, what is the Holy Spirit calling me to do? Maybe the Holy Spirit's calling you to wear a mask or not wear a mask. Or, you know, what if the... What if there's a gospel opportunity, right? But you only have that gospel opportunity if you're willing to put on a mask or take off a mask. <laughs> That's interesting. Maybe the Holy Spirit will do some of those things. I don't know. And so you just got to be mindful of what God is doing uh, and paying attention to him. Who knew we would live in such interesting times? Isn't that like a Chinese proverbs? Or is that like a curse? May you live in interesting times. Well, you guys have all been given that opportunity. <laughs> So, kind of the big idea of today's passage is when you face resistance, listen to the Holy Spirit and do what's best for the gospel. And man, I love that Paul like, follows Christ. Uh, he follows Christ, and it does cost him everything. Like Paul eventually loses his life in, in Rome or in that area. All right? uh, we don't we don't see that in the book of Acts, but we know that's what happens. Uh, and yet he's just following the way of Jesus, right? Like Jesus was bound, led away, and gave of himself so that others might live. And we're called to do something similar, right? To, to, to follow the way of Christ, to be willing to give of ourselves so that others might experience Jesus. Uh, and knowing how to do that can be challenging, Sometimes we'll face resistance, and when we do, let's listen to the Holy Spirit, let's do what's best for the gospel. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you uh, for the good news of Jesus Christ. Thank you that he died and rose again from the grave. We don't have to be afraid of death anymore. Uh, and we can, we can kind of place our eyes on him, and try to follow the Holy Spirit, and, and and share this good news with others. Lord, help us to do that in whatever context you've set us in. And Lord, as we, as a church, continue to navigate a tricky season, uh, you know, with, with the politics and, and 
face masks and COVID and uh, trying to be safe, you know, trying to get out there, Lord. Uh, we just ask for your Holy Spirit to help us and that you would give us unity as a church family, love for one another, uh, no matter the circumstances. Uh, it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.